0: When it is when it is making music, that's what this guitar is is for. And I was thinking about how God has designed us. You know, there's something about what God has built into our lives. He's designed us to respond to His presence. He's designed us to respond to Him, and when we are worshiping Him with not only with our words but with our lives, we are actually more fully alive then than any other time when we're just we're responding to the presence of God. Why? Because he's He's built that into us. He has designed your life to speak of his goodness. And so church, as we're worshiping, I don't know if, you know, perhaps this morning, this is something that you're unaccustomed to, but, but there's that spark, I believe, that begins to stir in us. Why? Because God's God's designed us to speak of his goodness. And so when we're worshiping as a church, we're we're just stepping into what he's designed us to do, and that is to say, God, we, we honor you, we lift up your name, we speak of your goodness. And there's something in us that begins to come alive when we do that because God has created us uh, to, to speak of his goodness. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series. We are, um, I think, in week four of a series that we've titled My Family Tree. And uh, we've just been taking between Mother's Day and Father's Day, so Pastor Kyle will preach next Sunday and and kind of conclude this uh, this series. But we've been looking about at, at our family trees, and and I've mentioned before that perhaps you don't want to look at your family tree, right? I mean, it, it's messed up, and you think I don't even want to think of my family tree. There's there's mistakes I've made, and there's pain in our past, or whatever it might be. And and we all know that every one of us has things in our families of origin or perhaps in our own families that, that are struggles. But our whole intent in talking about family is to come back to this thought that God is a redemptive God. And what does that mean? That means that he can take our failures, he can take our family tree, however that looks, and, and as, we, as we commit to just giving it to him and giving our lives to him, that he can bring good out of pain that he can bring good out of situations that that just really have no good in and of themselves. And so God is a redeeming God. That's the hope that we have. And so this morning, we continue that that Family Tree series. And um, I was reminded of this story. I think I told it before, but there was a a little boy who was in Sunday school. And on his way home, he was upset. He was upset to the point of tears. And he's he's in the backseat crying on his way home. And and his, his parents are quite concerned, as you naturally would be as parents, and they said to him, you know, what's wrong? What, what happened in Sunday school? And as the conversation came out, they were talking about family. And in between sobs, he said to his mom and dad, he said, you know, my Sunday school teacher told us that she wants us to grow up in a nice Christian home, but he said, I just want to stay with you guys. So he had this concept of what a nice Christian home was, and he thought, we don't match up. That's not us. You know, none of us matches up to the, to the perfect standard. None of us do. And so there's some truth to that little guy's thought, is I have to leave if I'm going to get to the Christian, perfect Christian home, and, and he would. But the fact of the matter is I believe God wants to speak to us, continue to speak to us this morning about our families, and, and specifically... Um, about this, this design of relationship that we find in our families. We're not going to turn and read it for the sake of time, but I want to just begin by, by looking at G- Genesis 1 and 2 again. And can I bring you back to that? You've heard this m- many times. God is creating, right? God is beginning to create what is in his heart to create. He, he forms the world, and, and over the course of that time, we've, as he begins to create, there's different moments when he stops, when he looks at what he's creating. And Scripture says that he saw that it was good. And so God is enjoying himself. God is pleased with, with this creation that he is putting in place. And six times as you read that account, as God's creating, six times Scripture uh, mentions this thought that you know, God is pleased. God saw uh, that it was good. And then later on in Genesis chapter 3, we find that God saw that it was very good. So this word very, I think, is, is, a, is an awesome word. If you look at that word and you, and you kind of try to find a word that more accurately represents uh, that, this word in English, it's the word vehemently. How many of you use the word vehemently in a sentence this week? Anyone? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a pretty strong word, right? You, you may say that person vehemently denied that he was involved in that crime or whatever it might be, right? Vehemence has this idea of passion. It has this idea of, of just, um, you know, this deep emotion involved with that word. It's it's a forceful, passionate type of emotion. And so God sees creation and he says, not only is it good, it is vehemently good. This is good. God was pleased. He was passionate about what he had created. And then we find just a little bit later that, that something changes in, in, in God's view, and he begins to say this, he says, it is not good, it is not good. So here, he, you know, God's, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's vehemently good, and then all of a sudden, it's not good. We're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. But how many of you have ever been on, in a situation where perhaps you're packing for holidays, and if you like our family, man, you, you start the list like the week before, right? We need all of this stuff to get to the cottage and, uh, and we start that list, and we check it, and we make sure, you know, on the day that we're departing, um, do we have everything? Yes, I think we've got it all this time. And you make your way to, you know, we're driving in the van toward the cottage to meet up with family, and partway there, and it's good, right? I mean, holidays are starting. Who doesn't like that? In fact, it's very good. We're going to spend a week of holidays with the family. We're going to get time out on the water. This is going to be good. This is very good. And then partway there, you remember, oh, no. We forgot something, right? Something's missing, and all of a sudden, it's not so good, right? Something that you intended to be there wasn't. And this is the sense in which we find God coming to this moment where he's saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. He's vehement about this. And then all of a sudden, we find in Genesis 2.18, it's not good. Something is missing. And we know, if we're familiar with that story, that in this moment, God is looking at Adam, and he's saying, What well, it's not good. Well, what wasn't good? It's not good for Adam to be alone. And it's so interesting that because we could ask ourselves the question, well, was Adam really alone in that moment? Was he really alone? Let's have a closer look. Here was the scenario. God had created you know, all of creation, and then he had created Adam, and, and Adam had, an, had a perfect relationship with God. There was, there was no sin that had marred that relationship yet. And so Adam had this intimate relationship with God. He knew what it was to be fully loved. He knew what it was to be given purpose by God. And he was was just in this relationship. There was nothing, there was no blemish on it at all. And so we may ask ourselves the question, well, was he really alone? Well, no, he wasn't. He was in perfect relationship with God. And yet God sees this scenario and he says, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. It's not good. It's not good. You know, Blaise Pascal. I'm sure you've heard this uh, this name before. He was a brilliant mathematician, and in fact, he invented the mechanical calculator. Kind of looks like uh, one of the old typewriters, uh, mechanical typewriters. This guy was brilliant, and and he was also a, a keen uh, student of of um, human nature. And his mind not only worked mathematically, but it worked relationally too. And then you may have heard um, this this statement. Put a little bit differently, but this is what he said about us, about humanity. There's a quote here that I want to just bring up for you. He said, This infinite abyss, there's, there's a place in us that can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God Himself. You may have heard it put this way that Blaise Pascal basically said, Inside every one of us, there is a God shaped vacuum, there's a void that only God can actually bring fulfillment to that place. And you can try to fill it with all kinds of things, but until you come to God and and enter into that place of relationship with him, you'll never quite be satisfied in that place. And so there's this God-shaped vacuum, Blaise Pascal said, in every one of us that is only fulfilled when we come into relationship with God. But you know, there's another thought that comes from this passage of scripture and that is that there is a human-shaped vacuum in every one of us that can only be filled through meaningful relationship. Now, before you throw me out as a heretic, am I saying that human relationships can replace God in our lives? No. But when we look at what God says, he said, Adam, you're not meant to be alone. This is, you know, everything's good, but Adam, you, you need to be able to walk in relationship. And so God God knows that that this place in us that can only be fulfilled with him and there is there, but there 's also something that he 's designed in us that can only be fulfilled through meaningful relationship, and that is a god uh, god design in your life as well as mine that we crave for relationships that are meaningful, not kind of just surface and and you know um, just superficial, but no, we long to be in relationships where we are known and we are accepted and loved for who we are. And so God knew that something was lacking. And this morning, I want to just talk a little bit about, about uh, our church and church in general, church as family, we, and how we need each other. We need to walk in meaningful relationship with each other. And that is part of what God has designed for a church family. That we would know each other and we would walk in meaningful relationship with one another. A couple of thoughts about walking in meaningful relationship. There's a few things that that, that does in us, uh, in God's design in us. And we'll walk through these fairly quickly. But walking in meaningful relationship helps us to keep perspective. Have you ever gone to someone and said, man, I, I'm not sure what to do in this situation? someone that you trust, and you just say, you know, would, would you help me to gain some perspective here? This is what I'm feeling, or this is what I'm seeing. Am I seeing that right? Am I missing something? And, and, and having people in your life that can speak into your life that way, it helps you to keep perspective. Anybody have blind spots here? We all have blind spots, don't we? And, and we need people that, that know us well enough to be able to gently, but perhaps firmly say, you know, I think I think You're wrong in that case. I think that attitude is is not justified in that situation, whatever it might be. But walking in meaningful relationships as opposed to being alone helps us to keep perspective. I've been reading through Proverbs as part of my um, devotional reading, and I was struck by how many verses over and over again talk about this idea of of gaining wisdom through friendship. You know, those who walk with the wise grow wise. That there is this place in us that we are designed to walk with each other, and it will help you to keep perspective in seasons in your life where maybe there isn't clarity and you're not sure what to do. Walking in meaningful relationships helps us to avoid selfishness. Life is not all about you, life is not all about me. And relationships will do that. Having children will remind you of that. Getting married will remind you of that. Life is not all about me. And, and as I choose to become vulnerable in relationships and open myself up to people and, and they open themselves up to me, I will realize that there, are, there is richness in laying aside my own selfishness and walking in relationship. Walking in relationship helps us to avoid selfishness. Walking in meaningful relationship reminds us of our worth. It reminds us of our worth. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes fear of intimacy will keep us isolated from those around us. Have you ever been there where this is the thought? If if they get to know who I really am, you can finish the rest of that sentence, then they won't like me. If I really let people in to the struggles that I have in my life, if if they really see the real me... (laughs) then man, they're going to walk the other way. They are not going to stay in relationship with me because there are parts of me that I do not like and I don't want anyone else to see those places. And, And there can be this fear that keeps us from true intimacy with one another. But here's the thing. As we take the risk of allowing people to see the real me, In safe relationships, in relationships that are healthy, and we know that those people love us, here's what we discover, that even when they see my failures, they love me. Why? Because my worth is not dependent on always getting it right. My worth is is because I have been created by God, and he has given me life, and he has given me worth, and my mistakes do not define me. And so walking in meaningful relationship helps to remind you of your worth. You need people in your life who will say, yeah, you messed up. Yeah, that needs to change. But I still love you. Because your worth, you you are valuable. And it's not dependent on your performance. And boy, we can bend over backwards to try to put on a good face with people and lose ourselves in the process. And so... Walking in meaningful relationship reminds us of our worth. Who are those people in your life who even when you mess up, they will say, I still love you? You know, maybe they'll call you on it. Yeah, yeah, that that was a stinky attitude. But I still love you. It helps to remind us of our worth. Last thought in this regard, walking in meaningful relationship improves our health. Do you realize, and you probably do, um, that people who live disconnected lives will live on average fewer years than people who live uh, with meaningful relationship in their lives. In fact, they 've studied this, and they will take people who eat healthy, who exercise regularly, but who would say, "I have no true meaningful relationship in my life i, I 'm alone, I feel lonely, I feel isolated, and then they will study people who uh, don 't care about their diet at all, just eat whatever you know is on the shelf, <laughs> don 't exercise. And they, on average, will live longer if they have meaningful relationships. If they would say, you know, there's people in my life that that know me and that I feel loved. They will live longer than people who live in isolation but, but eat healthy and do all the right things. Again, it points us back to this design. God has created you and I for meaningful relationship. So perhaps we could put it this way. It's better to eat Big Macs with friends than to eat broccoli alone. (laughs) I'll let you think about that. Walking in meaningful relationship will actually improve your health. In the context of this series, another thought is this. Um, I'm going to invite Sam and Alva just in a moment to come and share a story. But I say this often... um, at funerals and i'll often begin by saying this you know relationship there's there's a, there's an arithmetic of relationship and it's this it's that meaningful relationships multiply our joys and divide our sorrows and that's so true that when we are walking with people in our lives in meaningful relationship man they celebrate our joys with us you know we had a chance Colin and Samantha, to celebrate with you, Henry and Hannah. What what an awesome thing to be able to do that as a church family. And then when we encounter sorrow in our lives, people around us will help divide those sorrows. They help carry those burdens that we encounter from time to time. And and so in the context of of that thought, I'm going to ask Sam and Elva to come, and they're going to share their story. They're going to share a moment that perhaps you may not be aware of, or maybe you are. And um, in the context of church family and what, what church family meant to them as they walked through that moment in their lives. Come on up. Lord, we thank you for Sam and Elva. Thank you for the blessing they are to us as a church family. Thank you for the testimony that they're about to share that it will... Uh, It will encourage, that it will bring us back to the hope that there is in you. And uh, we thank you that you just use it to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: I just want to say, how happy I am to see Henry and Hannah here today being dedicated back to the Lord. You're so beautiful. And I want to encourage Samantha and Connor to use this church as a tool to help train those children. Uh, The Lord, the Bible says, train your children in the way they should go and they will never depart from it. There's many tools here that will teach them how to uh, learn the Word of God, know how to worship, and just know Jesus in a real way. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Today we were asked to share a story on the faithfulness of God in our time of tragedy and sorrow and the blessing of being grafted into God's family tree. Hebrews 10, 25, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11 goes something like this. <laughs> Let us not neglect assembling ourselves together, encouraging one another, comforting each other, and building up one another in Christ. I meet many people that say they don't need a church. They can get the word of God from the TV or from just reading the word. That may be so, but who is the one to divide your sorrows Or rejoice in joyful times with you, uh, who will be there to provide the love and support for you and your family if you're not grafted into God's tree?
2: We were uh, blessed with three boys, Darren, Dion, and Derek. My wife liked the letter D, that's why she married me, Dix, right? So (laughs) um, so, um, Derek was our youngest son. One month after he was born, he uh, was diagnosed with uh, a a condition that a lot of people would call it fluid on the brain, a buildup of fluid on on his uh, head and uh, inside his head. Uh, The official term, I think, was hydrocephalic that was used. Uh, We were living in Grand Falls, Newfoundland at the time, which was about five, six hours away from the best children's hospital east of Montreal, which was the Janeway Hospital in St. John's, Newfoundland. And uh, we took Derek to the local hospital, and in no time we were on our way to the Janeway Hospital because his condition was was rather serious. Um, He had surgery to install a shunt to to drain the spinal fluid, or the the fluid down into the spinal column where where it was supposed to be going naturally. Usually there's complications with this. but uh, So every six months, Derek would have to go back to St. John's for his uh, 6 months checkup. And thank God uh, there was no complications up to that point.
1: Uh, Derek was a very happy child. He loved the Lord. He loved to attend church, and he loved to sing Christian songs unto the Lord. His favorite was God is so good. He sang that over and over. At age three, he was invited to sing with a quartet in Nova Scotia, a quartet that Sam was part of. But he was so excited. (laughs) His favorite toy was a microphone made of anything that he decided to use. A tool, a sand shovel, kitchen items, anything that he could attach a long long string to and just use it to sing. When he... uh, He just loved to sing. Another thing that he loved was to have guests in her home. He would always want to help prepare the table for the meal, and he's the one to greet the guests at the door with a big smile. Uh, He made many friends, traveled a lot, and he was well-loved by most of the people that he met, if not all.
2: So Derek, for five years, was living despite this... uh, uh, Surgery and the shunt was living a normal, healthy life. However, on the night of February 6th, uh, uh, just a few days before his fifth birthday, his birthday was on the 19th, (coughs) excuse me, Derek woke up with a severe headache. Um, No fever, no uh, vomiting, sorry, I've got to get myself composed. No sign that uh, there was anything other than a bad headache. We wanted to take him to the hospital. He didn't like going to hospitals. He had spent enough time there. We invited him into our bed and he settled down quickly. In the morning, I I, w- I was an early bird to work. I got up and Alvin and Derek were in the bed uh, sleeping and uh, I kissed them goodbye and, and uh, didn't want to disturb him anymore because he had been up during the night. I went to work and uh, shortly after I had gone, Alva got out of bed, and uh, Derek stayed in the bed, which was not unusual. And uh, I'm sorry, that was unusual. Usually you followed her out. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. About an hour later, I'm at work now, and I got a a call. Uh, It was actually from Alva's sister that I needed to get home right away. Uh, Derek uh, was not conscious when I got home. He was taken to the hospital by ambulance, and he did not return. Um, It was, uh, as you can appreciate, quite a stressful time for us. Uh, He was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital. Uh, The autopsy stated that he died with meningitis. And upon arriving at the hospital, uh, to get that news from the doctor, one of the first people there to meet us was our pastor. And uh, as soon as word got around that our little boy had passed, our home was filled with uh, people from the church, Uh, people coming to share in our sorrow. And for days after his death, we were blessed with visits, food. People just wanted to be with us and help us through our grief. And uh, I've said over and over again, We never could have made it without the blessing of our family and friends from the church. We were attending a church of about 800. Derek, in his five short years, made an unbelievable impression on that church. It was packed with people. And uh, the message that day was all about the faith of a little child. And Derek had lived that faith out. And in that service, there was a lady who was a friend of ours who had been running from the Lord for years, <laughs> running from the Lord, running from the Lord. But that day, the sermon got a hold of her, and she had to give her life to God because of the testimony and witness of Derek. Late into the day after the funeral and after the, the cemetery, Uh, people, of course, we started to leave and return, go back to their homes and so on. And uh, we were alone for the first time. And we did a lot of what I'm doing right now, a lot of crying as I think back. But Jesus came to comfort us time and time again in the midst of our deepest sorrow. He He was the bomb in Gilead that came to comfort us. No, I had to watch my wife and my other two boys go through the loss of Derek and their two brothers. Uh, 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 the two brothers, brother I should say, Darren and Dion. And Darren was coming into his 13th year, it was especially hard on, on him. I got to the point where I didn't know what to do. You know, every night we were dealing with this and. Pastor John Smear, who you know, was a big friend who came on a regular basis. And one morning, I just, uh, I got up, I was all alone, went out, and I, I'm on the carpet in our living room, just crying, crying out to God. God, I need you. Have you abandoned me? I literally asked him the question, God, where are you? I was, I was that desperate. And I don't know if you some of you older folks remember, we used to have promise boxes. Remember that? There was a promise box sitting on the the coffee table and something said, you know, pick a promise. And here I am telling God he's forgotten me, you know. I reached over and pulled out a promise. Isaiah 43, verses one to three. Fear not, I know you. I have called you by your name. When you walk through the waters, they will not overflow you. When you go through the fire, you will not be burned for I am your God and I love you. And from that moment on, things changed. I never once again said, God, you don't care about me. (laughs) I I began to thank him and praise him because he did care. And he sent so many wonderful people to help us.
1: Um, One thing Sam didn't share was uh After the service, later in the evening, we were alone. And we just stood in our kitchen and put our arms around each other and started to pray. But as we were there together, we felt a set of, the third set of arms around us. Jesus came and brought comfort. From that day on, when we were having a bad day, Um, If Sam was having a bad day, I was strong enough to support him. If he was having a bad day, I was strong enough to support him because our strength came from the Lord. And in difficult times, that's when you need him the the most. But uh, I would want to encourage you, seeing the sermons are on being part of the church family, uh, the family of God, I would encourage you each to get grafted into that tree. When, strategy, when tragedy strikes you in any form, please let the church know so that the church can be there for you. If they don't know, they, uh, and the congregation don't know, they can help you through your sorrow or whatever need you, you have at that time. Let us help you walk your journey. Uh, that was 38 years ago, but God is still faithful today. Uh, even this Christmas, on December the 23rd, we got a phone call, and we were not expecting uh, the phone call, That we were not expecting the message. Sam's brother-in-law, Lloyd, was diagnosed with leukemia two and a half years ago, and so we always thought that the time would come when the doctor would tell him that he would have three months, six months to live. But that phone call that morning, was devastating. Lloyd had had taken a serious heart attack, and he passed away suddenly. And uh, Rose, Sam's sister, Lloyd's wife, they had no children. In their 50 years of marriage, they had no children, and they didn't belong to a church family. And uh, we had just got back from Florida to spend Christmas with our family, but we knew that Rose had no one to be there with her, to pray with her, to share her sorrow. So Sam got on the flight and went and left his family at Christmas time and uh, to be with his sister, and it was a real blessing to her because he helped her divide her sorrow at that time. But uh, then the church here at Gladys was a great blessing to us They phoned us. They sent cards. They just showed their love to us at this particular time. And uh, one thing about a church family, there's no age limit. And there's no... uh, You can be involved in a church family wherever you go. Uh, We're snowbirds, and we go to New Life in Florida. And when Ken and Joe, when Joanna lost her mother, the first people to be there... To share in her sorrow were the pastors from the church, and then many others followed. So that's how good it is to belong to a family of God, to belong to a church of people who love you, will pray for you, will support you. But you need to do your part and get involved and really want to love and serve the people that are in the church as they do want to love and serve you. Thank you for listening.
2: And so this is all about the faithfulness of god number one and the blessing of of you folks church family and if the lord ever lays it on your heart to call somebody who you think might be hurting who whether in sickness or death or whatever when the lord lays it on your heart pick up the phone and do it or go knock on the door because those were the moments when we thought we had nowhere else to turn when somebody out of the blue God would lay it on someone's heart to get in touch with us. It's amazing how many times it happened. So we encourage you. We thank you. We love you. God bless you.
1: Yes, we love our church family. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Sam and Alva, for sharing. It is not good to be alone, right? God's designed us to be in a relationship, and uh, I'm so thankful for for you, our church family. Carolyn's not here right now; she's out with the kids. But, um, but you know, it's okay. I'm done. Um, again, we just come back to what was the heart of God for for the church, and it was a. Group of people who are imperfect, but have chosen to walk together and to share life together and and to do the hard work of relationship, but to do that with God's help, to do that experiencing God's work in us as we choose to share life with each other, and as we pray with one another, as we journey with one another, we, we sense God's blessing in that. And I want to encourage you this morning, perhaps you feel alone. And I just want to say this: you know, would you begin to just say, God, help me. Help me to be able to walk with people in a way that that is is meaningful, in the way that you intend. And uh, perhaps you've been let down by the church, quote-unquote, in some way in the past, and you're carrying that wound and that burden. I want to ask you today just to give that to God and to realize no church is perfect. And yet, church, I believe we want to walk this out uh, in, in ways that God calls us to. I believe we want as a church to love each other the way God calls us to love one another. And not to see anyone walk in a way that's disconnected, but but as we invest in one another's lives, and it does take effort from every one of us, doesn't it? It takes us stepping forward and beginning to to walk in relationship with others. Then what God intends begins to happen, and we begin to experience the blessing of what God intended for a group of people to walk together as he works in us, as imperfect as we are. So, th- Thank you, Sam and Elva, for sharing. And I know Terry and Barb. Thank you for sharing last week. And and you know, I, I sense in us a, a, an increasing willingness to be vulnerable with each other. And uh, and that's that's a blessing. We don't have to wear masks, but we can begin to find places in relationship where we are known and where we can love and be loved. And that's what God desires. Can we stand this morning as we? A closing prayer. I'm just going to ask, Graham, would you come back and, and uh, I want to just give you the opportunity today that if, if you are in one of those moments and you need someone to pray with you.